Let me invite you to take God's word with me, to open up a Bible with me to uh, the book of Genesis as we pick up in Genesis chapter 42 uh, this morning. And we have been following uh, Joseph's life and watching his life, reading about his life. And last week we came to a dramatic turn of events in Joseph's life as he went from suffering and from distress and from turmoil uh, to being placed next to the throne of the king of Egypt. Though Joseph had experienced great hardship, the Lord was working in his life. And as we looked at that text, as we looked at that part of the story, we saw that God is sovereignly orchestrating events to protect and to provide for his people. And so the transforming grace of God did a great work in Joseph's life as his circumstances and life events uh, were dramatically altered for the good. But I'm convinced, based upon the Word of God, that the transforming grace of God is not just for uh, the faithful people like Joseph, but also for the unfaithful people like his brothers in church as Believers who have gathered today to worship this same God, the one and only God, the God of Scripture, nearly 4,000 years after these events have unfolded, I want us to be reminded this morning that God does not change. And so God has been working to save and to transform lives by His grace, and He continues to work to save and to transform lives by His grace even today among His people today. And so it's that truth that God works to, to save His people and to transform His people that I want us to see from God's Word this morning. And I think it's that truth that led Paul to write to Christians in the first century, living in the city of Philippi, telling them that he was confident of this, that he, speaking of God, that he who began a good work in them would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So friends, we can be encouraged today as believers knowing that God is a God who continues to work in and through us for His glory, that He is a God who never leaves us, that He is a God who never forsakes us, that He is a God who does not give up on His people, that God continues working to transform the lives of His people by His grace. And as you find your way to Genesis chapter 42 uh, this morning, you may have noticed uh, in your uh, notes, in your order of service, that we're covering quite a bit of ground this morning. Some of you may be thinking that's a typo, Genesis 42 to uh, all the way through a portion of 45. But no, that's actually the, the portion of the story that we are going to look at this morning. So we are going to be flying fast. We're going to be reading portions of this uh, story that is held together and summarizing others and then drawing overarching principles. So we will be taking this uh, with sort of a bird's eye point of view, not able to dive into all the details, but certainly let me encourage you uh, to follow along, to pay attention, uh, because this story and the elements of this dramatic story will drive our time uh, together. And then as you have opportunity, certainly to read uh, the fullness of this good story. But if you'll remember that Joseph is uh, estranged from his family. His brothers believe they will never see him again. His, his father thinks that he is dead. You, you may think that your family fights uh, 
but most likely the fighting in your family does not compare to what Joseph has experienced. That out of envy and hatred, uh, his brothers plotted to murder him before quickly deciding to uh, gain a profit off of his life, to sell him to a caravan of traders that were traveling through. And now Joseph has been in Egypt for over 20 years. And he has been in a prison. He's been a servant. He's been a slave. And now he has risen by the hand of God, by the grace of God, to a very significant position in the land. He is next to the king of Egypt. Because he was able to interpret two dreams for Pharaoh, predicting a coming seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. And now when we pick up the story, the years of abundance have already passed. Surrounding nations are in need because the famine is severe. And they begin coming to Egypt because they've heard that there's grain, there's food in Egypt. And so Jacob the father of Joseph and his brother sends his sons, sends ten of his sons from Canaan to Egypt to buy some of this grain. Remember that Joseph was his father's favorite. And now believing that Joseph is gone, that Joseph is, is dead, Benjamin has become Jacob's favorite. For Benjamin was the only other son through his beloved wife, Rachel. And so Jacob sends his sons out to, to buy grain in Egypt, but he leaves his favorite son, Benjamin, at home with him. And this is where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 42. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of this portion of God's word. <clears throat> we'll pick up Genesis chapter 42, verse 18. As Joseph's brothers have unknowingly encountered Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but he does not reveal his identity to them. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Verse 21, they said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do invite you by the power and the presence of your spirit to guide us, to give us clarity of of thought, to lead us in understanding the truths of your word, of your story, and how they relate to our lives today as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. On first reading of the events as they are unfolding here, uh, on merely a human level, it looks as if Joseph is characterized by some bitterness, that he is seeking to carry out revenge on his brothers for their ill treatment of him many years earlier. After all, he conceals his identity from them and he imprisons one of them until they will come back, till they will return with his brother Benjamin. 
But the reality is, as we begin to look at this story and understand this story in its greater context and what God is doing through it, the reality is that God is using Joseph as his agent to test the faith of his brothers. He is testing the faith of these brothers who had years earlier, many years earlier, uh, turned their backs on Joseph. He's testing them because he wants to transform them by his grace. And through the events of this chapter, the events of Genesis chapter 42, we learn that God desires for us to deal with unresolved guilt. God desires for his people, including us here today, to deal with unresolved guilt in our own lives. God desires his people to wrestle with the the sin, the unconfessed sin and the unconfessed guilt in our lives before and against him. You know, there are a number of tensions that uh, rise to the surface in this particular story. There's tension between Joseph and his brothers. There's tension between his brothers and their father Jacob, who resists the command to, to bring Benjamin, his beloved son, down to Egypt. But perhaps the greatest tension in this story is the internal tension that his brothers experience as God begins to reveal to them through the words and the actions of Joseph Uh, begins to reveal to them their sin, their previous sin against him. It's as if God is not giving up on these brothers. Though circumstances were difficult, though circumstances were unfortunate for Joseph, God certainly did not give up on Joseph. And now, even though they have been characterized by unfaithfulness and evil and disobedience, God has not given up on them either. And as the events of this particular story unfold, they begin to realize that God is working in them. Doing a work of conviction and transformation. God is convicting them. And church, if we are going to faithfully walk with God, then we, as his people, must learn to welcome God's conviction. Welcome conviction. The reality is we don't desire God to convict us simply to condemn us. Because God doesn't convict His people to condemn them. He convicts His people ultimately to lead them to Him and to His grace and to change them, to transform them by His grace. The one and only God, the God of the Scriptures, the God that we worship alongside other believers around the world today is a God who cannot tolerate sin. Sin is against His nature. It's against His character. But at the same time, He is a gracious God who desires to commune with sinners and who provides a way to commune with sinners by the sacrifice of His one and only Son on the cross in our place. And that sweet reconciliation with Him and that intimate fellowship that we can experience with God can only come when we will acknowledge sin. When we will acknowledge sin in our own lives. So welcome God's conviction and acknowledge sin in your own life before him. That's what's taking place in the lives of these brothers here. Genesis chapter 42 verse 21. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Speaking of Joseph, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Friends, we must learn to be like King David and recognize the seriousness of his sin, the gravity of his sin against God. And he 
openly and honestly cried out to God from the depths of his sin. Psalm 51 verses 2 and 3 said, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I have sunk deep in sin. Cleanse me, forgive me, wash me clean, that I might be restored into right relationship with you once again. In fact, he communicates that later in that same psalm, Psalm 51, verse 12. He says, restore to me, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Church, if you know the God of Scriptures, if you know His character, then you desire to know your sin Not so that you can hang your head low in guilt and shame and disappointment, but so that you can confidently confess it to Him, knowing that He is gracious and He is just, He is faithful, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The reality is that God desires His people to deal with unresolved guilt, unconfessed sin as part of the sanctifying work of transformation that He desires to bring about in us for His glory. That's what's taking place here in the lives of these brothers. And the story continues to unfold. And as the story unfolds, these brothers have opportunity to demonstrate that they indeed have changed, that they are not who they once were. But as the story progresses... Joseph sends his brothers back home to Canaan, leaving one of them behind, Simeon behind. He sends the others back home. And though they are unaware, he has put the silver that they carried to Egypt to pay for the grain back in their bags. Upon arrival at home, they realize this and they fear for their lives, thinking that they will be accused of stealing. But the famine continues. Family runs out of food once again. And two of the oldest sons, Reuben and Judah, convince their father, Jacob, finally to let them return to Egypt to buy more grain. But they must take Benjamin with them. After all, this Joseph, this leader in Egypt, has demanded that they return with Benjamin. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 43, verse 23. So the brothers return. They arrive. They encounter Joseph's attendant. And they begin to tell him what has happened. They begin to tell him that they returned back home and they had all this money, but they didn't mean to to take this back with them. So they've brought extra, they've brought gifts, and their father has sent them on their way and prayed that, that God would have mercy on them. Genesis chapter 43, picking up in verse 23, they speak with Joseph's attendant and he says, it's all right, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. And then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. And then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, verse 28, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down to him, prostrating themselves before him. Don't miss the very fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph had had many years earlier about his brothers bowing down to him, being fulfilled right here. Genesis chapter 43, verse 29, as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son, 
Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And after he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him, with Joseph. So as the story progresses, and as the story continues, God is using Joseph to test his brother's faith once again, using him to test their faith and their lives for signs of faith and and signs of repentance. They're forced to deal with the very issue that made them angry and hateful and bitter many years earlier, forced this time to respond once again to favoritism, but not favoritism now directed at Joseph, but favoritism directed at their brother Benjamin. And for the first time in this story, these brothers are painted in a a positive light as they begin to show signs of spiritual maturity, of spiritual growth. And God desires for us to demonstrate spiritual maturity. God desires for His people, those who know Him, to demonstrate signs of spiritual growth, signs of spiritual maturity before Him. And here, these brothers, they demonstrate responsibility. They show responsibility for their actions. They're honest before others. They unite together as a family and they display gratitude for what God has given them even in the face of jealousy. It teaches us that God has not given up on them. That though they have been unfaithful, God continues to work in them and through Him through them to bring about His greater plan. They are beginning to reflect faith in God. And friends, we too are called to demonstrate faith in God. We are called to live our faith. So live your faith in God. As followers of the same God, as people who worship the one and only God, we are called to live out our faith in Him. A God who saves us by His grace but a saving grace that's never alone. A saving grace that prods His people to experience transformation by His Spirit as we walk with Him. Like James nailed it when he said in James chapter 2, verse 26, he said, As the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead called to live out our faith in the God that we worship. And as the story continues in this family's life, God uses Joseph to press the tension a step further as once again Joseph provides for their needs before sending them on their way back home to Canaan. But before he does, he has his attendant, his servant, plant a special item, his silver cup in one of their bags, in Benjamin's bags. And so they set out on their way. And then Joseph instructs his attendants to pursue them and to overtake them and essentially to tell them, why? Why have you treated me this way? Why have you stolen this silver cup? And the brothers together say, we have not done such a thing. 
In fact, if, if you find it among us, we will be held guilty for it. So they're devastated when they begin to search the bags and Benjamin is the one that has the cup. Jacob's beloved son, knowing now that their father will be heartbroken, will be devastated over the events as they have unfolded. And it's at this point in the story that Judah steps in and assumes the position of leadership. And he says in Genesis chapter 44, verse 16, he says to Joseph, he says, What can we say to my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who was found to have the cup. And in the dialogue that follows, Joseph responds and says, No, I I would never hold all of you responsible for this. Let me only hold the one who's guilty responsible. Let me keep Benjamin. And Judah begins to display spiritual maturity and spiritual leadership. And he begins to recount the events as they have unfolded. And the detrimental consequences that leaving Benjamin would have behind would have on their father. And then Genesis chapter 44, verse 30 and following, Judah says to Joseph, he says, So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't here, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, speaking of himself, guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. If I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, Judah said, please, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. God desires for us as his people to display loyalty. And that is exactly what is unfolding in this story. As the brothers begin to take responsibility. And as Judah especially displays loyalty to both his father and to his brother. And if you remember the story, this is redemption for Judah. Remember, the immoral and despicable acts of Judah recorded with Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. Well, now Judah is displaying leadership, spiritual leadership, spiritual maturity as one who has been redeemed. Aren't you glad that God is a God who is patient with his people? That God is a God of redemption. That God is a God who desires to transform his people by his grace. Though others in this life may give up on you. A spouse may give up on you. Your parents may give up on you. Your employer may give up on you. A teacher or a coach may give up on you. But God never gives up on his people. God is a God who continually works to transform his people by his grace. And the transformation that took place in Judah's life that is evident through his words here, his speech to Joseph brings us to the climax of this story. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. So turn your attention one final time to God's word. Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. 
So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, verse 5, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me on ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And he goes on and continues crediting God for all of these acts, for sovereignly orchestrating these events together. And he tells his brothers to go back to Canaan, to bring their families, to bring their father, to live in Egypt as they will be taken care of and be given the best of things. And we pick up verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Church, what a, what a good and remarkable ending to this story. God desires for his people to deal with unresolved guilt. God desires for his people to demonstrate maturity. And God desires for his people to display loyalty. And finally, we see here that God desires for us to pursue reconciliation through forgiveness. God desires for us to pursue reconciliation with others who have wronged us and who, whom we have wronged through forgiveness. Stepping back and looking at this story as it unfolds, it is evident that Joseph had already forgiven his brothers before now. That he had already chosen to forgive them, to pursue reconciliation with them the moment that they returned to Egypt. And the reason that he could do so, despite the terrible things that they had done to him, was because he knew the character of his God. Church, when forgiveness is difficult, reflect on God's character. When forgiveness is difficult in this life, reflect on God's character. Reflect on who he is and how he has dealt with us. You see, Joseph knew that despite his unfortunate circumstances, despite his family drama, that God was working beyond it and through it and around it to accomplish a greater story, a larger story, to use Joseph in a grand and great way. God was working to save and to transform his people. And don't miss the the faith and the wisdom of Joseph through all of this. Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, when he's speaking to his brothers, he says, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Again in verse 7 he says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8 he says, So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Again in verse 9 he says, Go home and tell, tell our father, This is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Reality is that despite difficult circumstances... God was still in control. And despite the unfaithfulness of some, God was still in control. God had not given up on them. God works to save and to transform His people. And the reality is that right here throughout this story, now Joseph is painted as a Savior of His people. 
He says in verse 7, he says, But God sent me here ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You see, what others intended for harm, God was working for good. What others intended for evil, God intended for good. And if you know the rest of the story, if you know the story of the Bible, then you know that this one is only a precursor to a greater Savior and a larger story of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. For there were religious leaders and Roman guards who intended the crucifixion of Jesus for evil, but God intended it for good. You cannot fully appreciate this story or the story of God's Word without understanding and recognizing the sovereignty of God. So as people who who worship this same God, serve this same God, the one and only God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the God who has made Himself known to us in the Scriptures and the God who has revealed Himself to us through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's surrender to the sovereign God. Let's surrender to Him. Let's submit to Him. Let's acknowledge that He is Lord, that our lives are not worth living apart from allegiance to Him. Let's repent of a life that pursues sin and self and live for the only one who is worthy of our devotion, worthy of our praise, who is Lord over all, the one who is working for our good. God works to save and to transform His people by His grace. So church, let's invite God to save and to transform us by His grace. Invite God to save you and transform you. You see, the truth is that God is a rescuing God. A God who rescues people by His grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. But He is also a God who continues to work transformation in the lives of those who have been rescued so that they will reflect His character and His mercy and His love. So church... Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, I am confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And until that day, the day that Jesus Christ returns, as His people, let's continue praising His name. Let's continue exalting the Savior. Let's continue living for Him, for He is worthy. Father, we do thank You for Your love. We thank You for... Your mercy, we thank you that you are a God who is with us and a God who is working for our good and for your glory in us. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your spirit that guides us and convicts us and shows us what it looks like to walk in faithfulness with you. Father, here are praise now as we respond to you, as we declare our allegiance to you, as we acknowledge that you are Lord and that you are worthy, be glorified in us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.